0: This is episode number 315 with Jeff Rosenthal of the Founder Podcast.
1: What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty
0: human who is intent on learning.
1: It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. now, 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 the Founder Podcast, even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder fam? Hope you're having a great day wherever you are around the world. Uh, it's Nathan Chan here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine, coming to you live from hometown, homegrown Melbourne, Australia. And uh, yeah, crazy time 2020 um, in Melbourne. We've unfortunately had a second wave of coronavirus, so we are back in lockdown. I'm thankful and fortunate that uh, the Founder team, while we do have a head office in, in Melbourne and a satellite office in New York Uh, and many remote team members we've been able to just kind of pick up things and take off um, kind of yeah because we work online which has been great but yeah it's been crazy things have been difficult with shooting Uh, Zach our head of uh, course production has been doing some remote shoots uh, for our course production it's been interesting interesting challenge but otherwise yeah I hope you're doing well I hope you're doing okay whatever you're you know working on, uh, you know, I hope your business is doing okay. Um, it's a crazy time right now, and we're here to help and serve you however we can. So, let's talk about today's guest, Jeff Rosenthal. So, he's the founder of a company, co founder of a company called Summit. Uh, now, Summit started off as like a small event production company. Now it's turned into like a global brand which has uh, many other entities and sub-brands underneath it. They have a venture arm. They have a non-for-profit arm. They have a ski resort. Uh, So really, really interesting company. And I've had so many of my friends personally tell me how incredible Summit events are. And uh, they're very intimate. They're invite-only. The kind of interviews they do and the kind of events that they do are like out of this world. So if you do want to start an online virtual event business in this climate because I know everything that's going on is difficult. But, you know, as time goes on, I try to be optimistic. I hope things will get better and I know eventually they will. And, you know, there'll be in-person events again and all these different things. Uh, this is an incredible interview where Jeff really breaks down the key around just relationship building and really what makes events special whether it's in person or virtual it doesn't really matter um so i hope you enjoy this episode guys i learned a lot from jeff incredible guy just so much gold shed all right that's it from me now I us jump to the show so the first question that uh, we ask everyone that comes on is how did you get your job
1: how did i get my job um well I guess, you know, we kind of created our jobs. Um, When we started Summit, myself and my co-founders, we were all in our early 20s. We were 22, 23 years old um, in 2008. Uh, And we were all, you know, young entrepreneurs. So we all had various small startups that had various, you know, small degrees of success. But, you know, when you're a young entrepreneur, you typically screw stuff up and then, hopefully don't repeat those mistakes. That's kind of the process of learning. And we were like, man, how cool would it be if we had our own peer group? Like if we knew other young people that were also building companies or interesting projects, we would read about these people and magazines But we had no access to them. We didn't get invited to any like cool business conferences. We had no knowledge of any of these networks. And so we thought, Hey, why not? Why not us? So, um, We cold called and Facebook messaged um, people we had read about and we convinced 19 people to go skiing with us in Park City, Utah in 2008. Um, You know, our next summit event was six months later for 60 people. And our third event also that year was at the uh, newly formed Obama White House. So we had this really exponential curve um, in our ability um, and convening power around summit uh so we, you know, I guess how did I get my job? I you know, we Brett, my co-founder at Summit and I were business partners in college. We uh we actually threw parties together. And uh he, you know, reached out to me when he had met Elliot, our other co-founder, and we were putting together, you know, um one of those first summit events and uh the first time i heard the concept i was like man this is the greatest idea i've ever heard i i you know at the beginning of that phone call i had no excuse to reach out to anybody anywhere and by the end of that phone call i had in my mind the skeleton key an excuse a reason to get in contact with all of these people doing all of this inspiring work
0: yeah wow well, that's really cool so um i was saying offline that uh i have a few friends that that always go to summit, and they they say to me, "You got to go, Nathan. It's so cool." And I, I read the lineups and the people that are at you know speaking, and and I heard the community's really really cool. And um, I've got to go one day. So um, I'm curious. You guys started before summit, though. You were doing Powder Mountain.
1: Yeah. So so we so summit is a family of uh, companies. And nonprofits and funds um, that has formed over the last twelve years. Uh, you know we have the Summit Action Fund, which is our you know um, Series A investment fund. We have the Summit Institute, which does a lot of our convening work um, on behalf of other nonprofits and other issue areas. We have the Summit Fellowship Program, um, which has ninety fellows from twenty four countries. Um, the Summit Criminal Justice Policy Lab, which is led by a guy named George Gascon, who is the district attorney of San Francisco, one of the leading progressive VAs in the United States. Um, and P- Powder Mountain Ski Company, um, which is literally you know the, it's the largest ski resort in the US that we own and operate. Powder Mountain Development and Hospitality Company, which is called Summit Powder Mountain, which is the literal town that we've been building out in Utah for the last eight years. Um, but before all of those entities, the very, very first thing that we built was was called Summit Series, which is the events and community organization. And so, um, in 2008 until 2012, that was really the only business. Um, we launched our our angel investment fund, I guess, in 2010. Um, but but uh, you know, that still is sort of like the heartbeat of all of the other projects. It's kind of like the core offering, the community organization. That powers all of those other entities. so in, in you know over the course of I guess four years, we built and grew summit from 8 to you know the end of twelve. Um, and right at the end of 2012 is when you know we were learning about you know these communities throughout recent history, you know people that had shared, visions of you know what they were interested in and what, how they wanted to live pooling their resources you know professional capital intellectual and otherwise and building physical communities and i guess we thought hey you know for our community to exist over time it would need roots and we were you know really ambitious and really naive and, and so uh we looked at you know hotels like soho house type models and beaches and um one of our you know, Summit community members, a guy named Greg uh, came to us and said, Hey, you know, Powder Mountain, um, you know, the the best kept secret in, you know, U.S. skiing is quietly for sale. And uh, there's already infrastructure that already goes to the top of the mountain. So a group that has its own pre-existing community could purchase this place and literally build a mountaintop village. And we were like, that guy's crazy. This is not possible but we should go see. So 48, 48 hours later, we, we went to powder mountain and I guess we were like 20, 26, 27 years old. And uh, we stood on the top of the Hill and we looked out over four States and we were like, yeah, this is us. This this is what we're doing. Um, We're going to go for it. And uh, uh, you know, so since it's been eight seasons now operating the resort and um, about seven, you know, as the owners of the mountain. And uh, yeah, today we've built, you know, five neighborhoods and, the largest lift expansion in U.S. ski history and, you know, 90 miles of mountain biking trails and hosted tens of thousands of people out of the mountain.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. So, um, I guess what I wanted to, to, to kick things off with is like someone, like I said, I, I, have heard of it, uh, eventually we'll go to one of your events. Um, and I have heard only good things. So, so why do you think that is? Like, like, how did, how did, like, did you, you guys don't have a? You said you have a background in running parties with, with your business partner, uh, Brett. Was it? Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, what makes a good event? Like, because I, I don't think it's easy to create a great, iconic event.
1: No, certainly not. You know, I think um, first and foremost we were not really into conferences or most events that we would go to or be invited to. Frankly, we're still not into. It conferences or most events that we go to or invited to festivals or whatever. Like um, we, we uh, love this term, like the creation of social sculpture. So it's kind of like the incorporation of all the different elements that create, you know, a heightened sense of experience, right. A really memorable, a different environment or a feeling that, you know, you'll remember years later as a, as a, as a exalted you know, uh, memory in a sense. Uh, and the way that you get there is, you know, twofold one, it's through, you know, narrative and ritual, right? It's like the, the story of the event, the provocation for why people are coming together. Um, the quality of people that you then, you know, bring based on that provocation. Um, and then you have all of these different elements that you can use to really create a great experience. So that's the tastes and the sounds and the and the and the tactile materials and the touches. Um, and and you know you can really there's a word called eros which uh, which means the deepening of meaning of all things. And so the more that you can you know create narrative through these experience um, and attach all of these different pieces um and connect all these different pieces i think that the better your experience but you know to start from the very beginning having a high quality of people having great folks together that would you know are going to be friends regardless like a similar psychographic but from different backgrounds you can hang out in a dumpster and everybody's going to have a great time um you don't have to do any of the other stuff but for us you know over 12 years we've we've incorporated you know one that really really great community of people we have a global community team That meets every single person that we invite to summit events. So it's an invitation-only community. Um, The majority of people that 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 participate were introduced to us by someone else that was, you know, already touching summit. Um, And the criteria: a) are these people innovators in their field, and b) are they kind, open-minded, nice people that we'd want to be around, regardless of personal professional success. And this has always been the criteria for the summit community, and still is today. It seems pretty simple, but it's actually pretty incredible you know it allows for people to be you know really trusting and to build real intimacy and that creates the foundation for them to build meaningful friendships that um, allow them to really build incredible things together and uh, one of other you know maxims is that fun dynamic shared experiences are key to build, building and, the, and developing those relationships so you and I you know doing this interview will become, we we'll become a certain level of friends but if you and I went and had you know we went and surfing and had to you know uh, evade a great white shark today like you know if we went and saw something beautiful together or had some kind of real bonding moment you know of course we're going to have a deeper more meaningful lasting relationship so at summit events you know it's it's very much that that intersection combination there's like wellness and adventure activities there's amazing content and talks and speakers there's a full music and entertainment program there's a world-class culinary program like we graze the cows that we, you know, eat at Powder Mountain on Powder Mountain. We have a majorly plant forward menu, um, and a head chef named Harukishi, um, that, you know, that, that builds, you know, these, when we throw a 3000 person event, that's three and a half days long, we serve 20,000 meals. Um, and so the way that we source food to the chefs that we work with, to the way that we set tables, to family style service, all these things. Are in service of this idea of creating one an incredible um, atmosphere um, two it communicates the values of the organization um, and three, we just want you to have the most fun dynamic shared experience with your fellow attendee so you guys end up having a lasting long term relationship like we don't our our key performance indicator isn't our bottom line, like how much profit we took home. Our key performance indicator is what did our community get out of this, and and what bonds were forged that otherwise wouldn't have taken place. Um, so impacts hugely important to us. Wellness is hugely important to us. Um, we have these six pillars that we sort of weave together. Um, not to give you a ten-minute answer to what was a very simple question, but like you know, how do you make a cool event, or how do you make a good event? I mean. We have to break the law of diminishing returns every year for, you know, the most difficult group of people to, you know, create value on behalf of on an ongoing basis possible. Um, so all this stuff is pretty essential in our mind to what we do.
0: It's really, really fascinating to hear because I agree with you, like, there's not that many conferences or any that I think of that that really excite me right now. Like, I I'm just heads down, you know, so... So for mm-hmm. for me to want to go, especially here in Australia, and it's all happening in the US, for me to want to go somewhere, I guess overseas, to to an event, it, it's got to be special. Um, so I'm curious, oh, yeah. people listening now that ha- that want to start, you know, they perhaps are in a certain level of their business where, you know, a lot of companies now they they start creating events like um, we interviewed the founder. Uh, Drew Houston of Dropbox and uh, part of part of that was was we had to go to his um, event and it was really really interesting around how they rallied the the Dropbox community so one trend that I definitely am noticing is a lot of technology companies or any any companies of that matter they want to bring together their best uh, communities uh, best you know I guess best customers uh, best partners and, and have start to have like a yearly event so so anyone listening right now, where do you think they should start if they want to create a great event?
1: Yeah. I mean, summit requires all of the firepower that I just described because we have a very, very wide tent. It's multidisciplinary. It's multi generational, It's international. And that means in, in one of our maxims is, you know, the more diverse the inputs, the more complex and impactful the outputs. If you're, community that you service your company is much more specific and targeted it's it's exponentially easier to do um, just because like you're not having to service a hundred different archetypes you have a couple of archetypes in terms of your customer base or your key you know community members so you know the, the the first sort of top line you know piece of advice I would share just on how to make you know your event special or interesting is you know you know people say keep it real Nathan mm. uh, well yeah, you shouldn't do that. Everybody keeps it real. You got to keep it surreal. You got to do things that are a little bit beyond other people's imagination. Um, and when you do that and you surprise people, it's delightful. Um, when it's, you know, I think that so many of these events are so run of the mill. They, they follow a very, very similar cadence and structure. Um, I think that People also model their experience and behavior off of the leaders or organizers of these companies and events. So if you want people to have a certain kind of experience, if you kind of have to pattern that and show them yourself uh, in a sense, what you're looking for them to accomplish and experience there. So the more like authentic and humble and the more that you can shave down the pedestal and really like explain to people authentically, like why you're doing what you're doing, um, they will become partners in the experience creation with you you know like certainly over the 10 years that we have built summit half the time all the time especially by you know doing so many things at once in our events we get things wrong we mess stuff up things don't end up working and because our community is so bought in and because we're so bought in they actually you know they, they help they want to get their hands dirty so i think that you know trying to you know sit in your office or in the lab and create the perfect experience and build this brilliant idea um i don't really believe in that we don't really believe in that we get people involved really early on we you know think of ourselves as a platform and we empower people that are the best at what they do on top of our platform so you know i'm not going to become a world-class chef or a caterer um summit is not going to be you know the best in class at hosting meditations or wellness sessions like Um, you know there's certain things that we've become really great at and that we do in-house and the rest you know we really try to work with the best people we can and empower them on top of our platform Um, and you know I think there's a direct correlation between creativity and a lack of capital Um, you know I think that oftentimes you can have these you know huge budgeted events that are still as bland and boring and you know also ran as everything else in the world Um, but you know I think that if you're if you can identify what the outcomes are that you're really looking to get for yourself and for your customer, and then you include, you know, the five most creative people that are in your network in the building process and the ideation process. Like if you have an idea that you think's great, go and get people to poke holes in it, you know. I know I'm not giving you like tactical, practical, you know, like this is how you book a venue or this is how you but um I mean we we do a very specific kind of like, you know eight-figure global event, annual event. Um, but we also do tons of, like, small 10-, 12-person dinners that use the same uh, science, if you will, uh, behind, you know, the, the art of
0: gathering. Yeah, I see. Interesting. So um, I'm curious as well, like, how do you manage it all because you've got these different, I guess, entities underneath the summit brand um because i think i think it's really smart like uh, you know you've built this incredible brand and i think that that's a really key takeaway is is because you've built this great brand you can start to you know build out and bolt on other ventures or other arms of the business like your action fund or um you know powder mountain um so i'm curious how do you like how do you manage that because that would be difficult to be world class in different areas
1: Totally. I think when you're small, it's okay. You can be really inefficient and you're actually still more efficient than any efficient large organization. So when you're small and everybody's around each other all day long and you can like ideate and collaborate on things in real time, it's okay to not have that grade of structure or organization. Um, but as you scale and as you grow, it just becomes an absolute necessity. And I'd say that on our own founder journey, you know, like at first you want to be, you know, the key man you want to, you know, um, score the winning goal, right. That like everybody gets to celebrate and, and, you know, the star on the court in a sense. And then as you grow, you realize that that's a huge rev limiter for any organization. If you, if you're, You know, the person that's responsible for doing all this kind of stuff. So then, you know, I think it's this is a path that's pretty similar for a lot of entrepreneurs is that you have to sort of retool from being, you know, the player to being a coach, to being a good manager, to thinking about structure and organization in a way that empowers other people to achieve things that even you couldn't in that discipline or in that silo of work. Um, So at first, you know, we literally didn't have departments at Summit. You know, like the first couple of years, there's no need. It was, you know, an annual event. And a couple of investments here and there. It's not that big of a deal. At this stage, you know all of these independent entities have their own boards, they have their own CEOs, they have their own governance structures, um, they have their own teams. Uh, and inside of Summit, just to you know specific to the conferences and the events and community company, um, you know there's a world class production team, music and entertainment team, content and programming team, um, wellness team um art and creative director uh you know culinary team and an impact team um, that all focus on their own areas all the time and by having specialists and by having department heads um that you know not only are responsible but they're frankly ideating a lot of the stuff that we'll end up doing that way you know it's not just you that's bought in it's the entire team that's bought in so some of the great advice that I've gotten from our you know, way more sophisticated and successful mentors is stop doing everything. Like, you know, If you do everything, if you're telling everybody what to do, or if everybody's reporting up to you personally, you're pretty shitty CEO. Like, You really are limited in what you're going to be able to go and build and do in the world. And you can't really empower people around you to take it to another level. So I think for us, because we have this platform approach. And it's really not about ego for us. Like the last thing we need or want is like another press piece on ourselves. Like it makes us a lot happier when our team gets mentioned in in media or, you know, like when we have our own wins from our own investments, it feels a certain amount of good. But when we know that our platform resulted in amazing things coming together that otherwise wouldn't have taken place, even though that we don't have like personal participation in it, it actually, I mean, that's, this is how we're wired. It's why we're, good community builders we get more serotonin and dopamine from our friends wins and from our own um so i think this is something that we've grown into you know i'm 35 now is 24 when we started summit um 23 24 and and you just you know the things that you're just so naive you know so little and it means that you can take much bigger risks um, when you're on that beginning curve Um, The more, you know, infrastructure and organization you build typically like that, you know, makes organizations more risk adverse over time. Um, But one of the things I will say about that is that it's actually empowered more creativity for me personally. I was really kind of fearful of like the organization and operationalization of our of our businesses because, you know, I want to be able to have optionality. I want to be able to be hyper creative, all these things. And the reality is, is that once you build the structure and the foundation around you through empowering other people, you're really able to grow and move um, and do new things for yourself and for your organization that, that are even more important in the future. What, you know, I love the line, uh, what got you here won't get you there.
0: Mm. And I, I, I agree with you. And it's actually more fun. You can do more fun things, new things.
1: Well, you, you really have to. If you're still doing the same things in your organization that you were doing five years ago, that just means your organization must not be growing very, very fast or very well. Um, and I just don't think we live in a world anymore where stagnation, you can't really just do the same thing for 20 years. Like, I think that, you know, in order to just stay relevant, I think the thing that we're all battling. As entrepreneurs is irrelevance. That's your main competition. It's not someone else that's in your industry. It's just we're all you know um, battling irrelevance. and you know in order to stay relevant, you have to grow. you have to continue to to um, improve and uh yeah i mean the the, the the best way to do that is to you know empower people around you um, and none of this stuff came natural to us. you know this is all stuff that we learned. By getting you know too big for our lack of infrastructure, for our lack of team leadership, um, and then you know asking the smarter people and more successful people around us, you know how they did it, and that's really what's informed sort of our structural growth over time.
0: Yeah, I see. So you said something interesting uh, to me where you said that you guys don't measure an event's success on profitability. Um, it sounds like you have a, a, a quite like a, a decent sized team. So, so, so how, what does success look like for a summit event and how do you, how do you ensure that, you know, you guys can, can, can build a sustainable business?
1: Um, well, I think that, yes, that you have to build a profitable venture in order for, to do anything, right? Like things that lose money typically shrink and disappear. Things that make money typically grow. Right. And events, in general, are a really difficult business. They're just expensive. There's thousands of moving parts. It requires a lot of people. Um, you know, they don't scale efficiently. Like you know, WhatsApp can have billions of customers and 30 employees. It doesn't really work that way in the events business. Um, and so, our events business really is sort of like the cornerstone, the lifeblood of you know the rest of our organization. All the other things that we do and touch and you know if we optimized for profitability um and said hey let's do half as many talks let's cut lunches let's not serve you know organic food let's serve inorganic stuff that's you know half the price you know cut the coffee cut the you know like the let's let's half the music budget we could make a few million more dollars every year if we were to do that but the problem is is that your community wouldn't show up or the quality of community that comes now wouldn't show up right so we are very qualitative um, as well as quantitative in the way that we manage our business. Um, And so yes, I don't want to say like profitability isn't important. It's the most important. Like I'm a big believer that market-based solutions are the only thing that are going to change the world at scale um, to the degree that we need in the time that we need them, right? Policy, which is which follows sentiment. So like literally like, you know, laws changing, or market-based solutions. It's just really hard. To achieve the scale that we need to, and to battle against the forces that are, you know, destructive that are profitable, without having that type of a, um, a vehicle. So while we support many nonprofits, and there's tons of work that has to be done through those types of vehicles, we the reason Summit is a for-profit entity is specifically because of that. Um, what I'm really saying, though, is that you know the score kind of takes care of itself. Like if you you know focus on the quality, if you focus on you know, the experience, if you focus on sort of like, there's terms like net promoter score um, or product market fit. What these things are really measuring is sentiment. They're measuring how people feel about your organization or your product. And if, you know, if it's a 10 out of 10, if people would be highly, highly disappointed if they could no longer receive your product well then you always have another day to fight you can always optimize for profitability in ways that don't hurt the, bo- the, the the product you know you can always add more revenue through new projects and new and new programs um so long as you protect you know the house uh you protect you know the, the sort of core value proposition. um and i find that a lot of people who have something magic you know end up sacrificing that magic in order to make the thing profitable, which you, which you do have to do it to some degree, you know, like oftentimes in most modern startups don't have revenue models to begin with. That's not us. We're not like a tech company that, you know, is growing and spending billions of dollars to do so. we have actually always had, you know, a revenue model through registration fees for our events that made it so that we could survive. And in the land of the blind, the one-eyed woman is queen, right? Like 12 years ago, there were many other community organizations for entrepreneurs that were starting up. Today, you can count them on one hand, you know, that have lasted the, te- like the, you know, the test of time in a sense. So, having a, 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 a revenue model, um, having you know, profitable business, is the only thing that's going to keep the lights on. It's the thing that you know pays for our staff's lives and. You know, feeds their families, right? Like it doesn't work otherwise. I'm saying that you know, for for a core organizing principle, if you are in a for-purpose business, like you know, all of our employees could go make money, more money elsewhere, straight up. Like you know, that's not why they come to Summit. It's not. It's not why they're here. They're here because of the mission of our organization. And if you make the mission of the organization make more money, then that has a, a a cascading effect. On on everyone, you know, like you can't really have it both ways. But um, we're we're really hyper conscious of both at this point. I think that you know, like we had plenty of confirmation bias early on, and uh, you know, like yeah. oh, that was successful. This one was successful. That made money. That made money. Why would the next one not? And so we've learned those lessons the hard way, where we've thrown events that have lost significant amounts of capital and had to retool and had to figure it out. And, you know, like how we were going to pay, you know, the bills in a couple of months. Luckily, we're now, you know, in both the mountain and um, the community organization, you know, deep into sort of the timeline of our of our startups. I still think, you know, of our you know our businesses as startups, even though we're like closing in on you know a decade at the mountain and over a decade at summit. But everything is like a twenty year overnight success story. That's just the way things work. That are established and important.
0: Yeah, I agree. And thank you for sharing, man. I um. I didn't mean to uh, be contradicting. I was just curious to understand what you guys measure success, like, like how do you measure success? Because it, you, you, can, you can poll people, right? And, but you said that something around the long lines of like, like what was the response, what were people saying, but it's sometimes it's, it's what people don't say, right?
1: Well, that's a different topic in a sense, but we, we think of complaints as great gifts you know, only those that really care about you will give you true critique. Cause if you don't care about us, then you just won't say anything. You'll just move on with your life or you'll, you know, talk to others about all of our shortcomings. So those that, you know, will actually come to you. Um, everybody will celebrate in the end zone with you, you know, when you crush it and everything's awesome. And they'll tell you all the, you know, great aspects of what you do, but, you know, you really should prioritize those that have, critical feedback that you know that, that that is sensible if somebody's just like you know talking negatively about your product because of because they're peanut butter jealous like that's a different story um you know for that like and that shouldn't affect you emotionally at all either because you know how amazing is it that you have something that someone else finds the need to talk about it means that you're still doing something right and something that's important enough that it's on their tongue but um yeah, I think that we we are like heat-seeking missiles for criticism and critique from those that, you know, are in our inner circle. Um, and our method is then to over-correct and, and, you know, create constellations of efforts to solve for the things that people are sharing with you. And typically, if like somebody gives you critical feedback, it's not like they've thought about it for, you know, days and then, then gave you like a real action plan. They said, hey, by the way, I experienced something like this you know, it's on you to then go back and really workshop that and really extrapolate it and think about all the ways that you can put that feedback into action. And then when you go back to someone that gave you critique and said, hey, thank you for that. This is all the stuff that we did with it. And if they still aren't into your program or platform, it's really on them, not on you. Um, And I think that since we were you know, so young when we started Summit, we really are servant leaders. Like, you know, there's this term servant leadership Um, We embody it in a very meaningful way because we were the youngest, least sophisticated, you know, people in the room from the very beginning of this organization. So, you know, the smart thing for us to do is to really, you know, ask our audience, ask the summit community, you know, who should speak on what topics, what kinds of things should we incorporate into the experience? And if you, you know, can listen well, you know, all the answers to the questions are right in front of you.
0: Yeah, I I love that because I, I think it's so key especially for, for the level of intimacy like i you know i said i have a friend that that goes to to like all the events or quite often and you said who was his name and i told you his name and you, and you knew him i'm curious how do you attract incredible speakers like i watched the interview that jeff bezos' brother did interviewing jeff bezos um That was really fascinating, by the way. Thank you.
1: Well, I mean, I could ask you the same question. I see like Richard Branson on the cover of your magazine as like a startup entrepreneurial, you know, platform. Like, how are you attracting these incredible people? Um, I imagine it's value proposition on one hand. You know, it's like uh, it's it's an audience of your peers at Summit, Um, you know, most people in our crowd can get paid to speak at all the other conferences they go to. And so we don't pay any speakers. Um, we wouldn't be able to just with our budget um, and the model. Uh, but you know, like we've been able to attract all these remarkable people from all of these different disciplines and backgrounds because we are very forthright in our admiration of their work. We understand what they're doing. And we're very, very strategic about being as helpful as we can um, towards the missions that they are, you know, currently stack ranking at the top of the list. So, you know, um, we, in in the case of Jeff Bezos, I think that has a lot to do with our format too. You know, one, it's 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 a multi year process. Like Mark, his brother, who interviewed him, longtime friend, participated in the summit for a long time when he was with the Robin Hood Foundation. We did events together and supported his organization really without the expectation of anything in return. You know, like we're not trying to extract value uh we're trying to create opportunities that are value accreted for everyone involved and in the case of you know jeff and, and that example that you gave you know i think that was right around the time that he became the richest man in the world and i think that celebrities and you know um the global elite for 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 you know it's 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 very dehumanizing And I'm not saying that Jeff has a tough life. He's having a blast. Don't get me wrong. He's having a lot of fun. Um, but you know, like there is the human element of all these people is totally lost. And at summit, um, we don't love the prepared, uh, you know, like 20 minute presentation style talk, unless you're like one in the million who do that professionally. Like Sir Ken Robinson and Esther Perel are like the Michael Jordans of public speaking. They do this all the time, and that's what they do for a living. Most of these business leaders or, or impact leaders, they focus all of their attention on their work. They're not working on, you know, building incredible talks. Um, and frankly, when it's when it is in the interview, you know, structure, there's this like whole gotcha journalism thing now that you know the more salacious the more clickbaity it is. And when you're going for the widest audience, there is a uh, incentive now to do that to these people. Whereas for us, whether it's Jeff and his brother or any other example, we prefer having uh, dialogues with people that are close to you, with friends of yours that can ask you really meaningful questions and know the right places to follow up. Like I don't hang out with Jeff Bezos. I don't know him that well. So I wouldn't really be a great interviewer for him. I can research everything. I can read what's online. I can, you know, talk to analysts with Amazon or whatever. I, who cares, man? Like you're gonna get that information anyway. What's really interesting to us is like what are the, what are the practices? What are the processes? What are sort of the values? What's the foundation of these people or the stories? You know that they can tell us from their own perspective that you know we can really learn from. Um, and I think that's been a really refreshing, um, you know, way in which to engage with these people.
0: Yeah, I'm curious. That particular talk, how many people were there? Like, how intimate was it? Um, I think that
1: theater holds something like 1800 people or 1900 people.
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So that was
1: a big. It was a bigger, and that's a bigger talk for summit. That's like you know our. That's as big as they get.
0: Yeah, I see. So, when when you're talking about that kind of you know like how do you even like like you know you don't really know him so you wouldn't be the best person to interview him I thought that was really humbling and really interesting because it reminded me about now like four years ago or so um, Ariana Huffington was in town in Melbourne and uh, she did like this intimate talk it was not publicized or anything and it was at like someone's house and i i got invited and i remember thinking to myself it was really really fascinating because the person interviewing her was a really close friend and it was just with a you know a group of maybe a hundred people and what what i took away from that was wow that was really really incredible and and the reason the interview like whether it was an interview or talk or whatever you want to call it that gathering what what made it really really interesting and really really impactful for me was because the person knew her quite well and it was so intimate So that's why I asked that question. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I love that you keep tracking back to intimacy. Um, If if someone, and this is sort of like a, a, this is a bit of a non sequitur, but talking just about how, um, how do you change people's thinking? Um, If someone attacks you about something, your defenses go up, right? If somebody comes at you, um, you have to defend yourself. It's just a natural reaction in a sense, right? And so, but when somebody presents something to you in private um, and gives you the opportunity to realize either your own hypocrisy or your own shortcomings and gives you the opportunity to improve upon those things, it has the greatest effect on cognitive dissonance possible. So if I have you know better You know, set of principles or logic for my opinion versus your opinion, and we just argue with one another. I mean, we see it worldwide right now. Nobody's mind is changing, right? If I attack you, you're going to defend yourself. Like that's the the ways in which you'll respond to the questions or to the cue is totally different. If somebody is a friend and you know that you can trust them and you know they have your best interests in mind, even when they ask you difficult questions, even when they ask you challenging questions, you can you can answer from an honest place. You know, like um, Dara, the CEO of Uber, was interviewed by his friend and former board member, Brad Gerstner, when he was at Expedia at Summit LA-19. And, uh, and you know, Brad was asking very challenging questions, you know, about... Um, about Saudi Arabia, about, you know, like, uh, sexual assault in, in, you know, and, and all these other things. And you were getting, I just thought it was amazing because like, if, if it was a total stranger or a senior journalist or whatever the other format was, there's just a posture that the interviewee has to take that is sort of defensive. Um, and you just don't get authentic answers like if it so so even if it is like somebody who's never met before we we certainly work with plenty of senior journalists as well it's not always like you know fireside chats with friends interviewing friends that's sort of like my favorite format um but even when it is like you know something that is a little bit more Um, uh, traditional in terms of an interview structure. We are very, very involved. We help structure the talk. We make sure that they have calls with each other ahead of time. We work with the speaker on choosing the moderator. We're not like forceful with any of this stuff. So I think that the critique that you could make of Summit as sort of like this global thought leadership organization is that, you know, it could be pandering to these speakers. It's like, well, these guys are, you know, case in point, Amazon has, plenty of societal impacts that are not all positive, right? Um, I don't think that it's on, you know, Jeff personally to solve those things. Um, I think that, you know, he is, as all of these people that, you know, if you resonate with Summit, you probably have some kind of world positive desire and design as well. But I mean, the reason we all use Amazon all the time is because it's awesome and because it's made our lives better and it's brought us access to, you know, millions of things at like the click of a button that arrived the same day. It's like literally from the future. And it, it all of these things that are positive have negative, you know, externalities. It's just it it's just the nature of 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 life, right? So one of the things that we just have to be careful of in this format and a fair critique is that like, hey, how do you really hold people accountable? How is this not a softball interview? Um and you know, I, I think that that's something that we're still working on today. It's like this is new stuff. Like we, because it's our platform, we get to experiment with it as we see fit. And um, you know, other people haven't really done this, so there's not a lot of like you know historical examples or like practical examples. We're like, oh, let's do it that way. You know, the, but but we're basically trying to combine these different needs at the same time in order to elicit just the best knowledge possible. Again, I, I my my intent isn't like wasn't that the most amazing talk like i just want to learn you know like we all want to learn we're here to learn from these archetypical leaders we're not here to like you know create news that's not my goal with a uh, jeff bezos mark bezos talk i don't care if it's in the global press like certain other you know global conferences like that's the main point Um, For us, it's all about what's happening in the room. It's all about what are the actual takeaways that people can then go back to their businesses or their families or their their, um, activism and really apply those things. And and truthfully, if you can listen to somebody talk for an hour and there are three or four takeaways that you remember years later, that is like as good as it gets.
0: Yeah, I agree. 110 percent. Well, look, um, I'm mindful of your time, man. I'm really enjoying this conversation, but we have to work towards wrapping up. Um A yep. couple last questions. Uh, how do you tackle the challenge where probably you could, you could hypothetically right now with, with, with the Summit brand, you know, like scale up big time and, and, and you know, double the amount of people um, while maintaining that curation of great people? And, and, you know, like you said, inherently growth is really important, um, personal and also company. Um, How do you how do you tackle that? And then the last one is um, where can people find out more about yourself and Summit?
1: Totally. Um, Well, it's funny that, you know, some of it's like these opposite pieces of advice kind of like are both at play here. Right. We want to grow and scale. And it's important to keep growing. And yet we want to maintain the qualitative components and the intimacy of the experience, which is the antithesis of growth in some cases. Right. So instead of trying to like, it's a really tough question and it's a constant, you know, um, uh, uh, battle, right. Like it's always something that, and, and, and just like in nature, there's no such thing as homeostasis, right? Like there's no balance. You never get to a final place where you're like, okay, it's perfect. Um, at some points in our history we needed to scale and expand and become more of a significant brand so in 2016 we moved from our flagship event being uh Summit at Sea where we would charter an ocean liner off the coast of Miami in international waters which was you know an amazing event and really really fun and it's a floating temporary autonomous zone but it's not serious it's a it's an ocean liner the medium is the message you know We could do all the environmental partnerships and work, you know, imaginable. Like we did, we built a 90 mile no take zone in the Bahamas when we went to the Bahamas in 2011. First national park in the Bahamas we funded with the Nature Conservancy through a summit event. But all that is to say, you still can't attract, you know, the top speakers in the world or like the 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 you know the the institutional family foundations that can underwrite your nonprofits or fellowship programs because it's it's still a cruise ship. We moved the event to LA which is, you know, one of the global major cities. We did it in downtown L.A., which has these amazing theaters and these parking lots that we transformed into parks and, and these, you know, beautiful new hotels. But it's, it's just a unique environment where, you know, all of the things that are there to make our event amazing are present. It's also got a terrible homelessness issue. Um, and it's very much real world. And we wanted to, you know, not be like talking about you know saving the world or solving the problems of humanity from our like you know exalted place on our ocean liner you know out in international waters we wanted to bring the event really viscerally into you know the center of a place that really needed our work and our effort um simultaneously that's the year that Jeff Bezos came and Reed Hastings came and you know like um that's that's so, so, you know, Melody Hobson spoke at uh, this last year's event and, and, and Roslyn Brewer and all these unbelievable, you know, thought leaders um, that, that are not going sailing with us. So after three years of doing a, you know, um, 2,500 person downtown LA event, we've now retired that event model. And we're doing two smaller events this year that are much more intimate. Um, and, uh, you know, like one 1,500 person event and one 1,000 person event. So the same number of attendees but broken up into uh, East coast and West coast event, because when you look at that core proposition, the the size of the events and just all of the things that it brings um, detracts from the, the connectivity and the, you know, the multitude of, of collisions that you'll have with the same people in order to finally form a real relationship. Um, and because we did three years in, you know, downtown Los Angeles, we now have uh, a plethora of these really high-level relationships that we can now transmute to um, an event in the desert or an event, you know, out in the ocean again. So the thing that, you know, was right for the right time then can be right in the future. But that's my point. Like we're always sort of shifting um, uh, and changing based on what we think is most important for the community at that moment in time. Sometimes it's scale. Sometimes it's, you know, um, reputation and, and, and other times it's just, it's, it's intimacy and it's, it's uh, adventure. And, uh, you know, I just think that these things are always living and breathing because they're community organizations and, you know, it's just, it's just the way that we roll. Um, And in terms of learning more and finding out more, you can go to summit.co, www.summit.co just to learn about you know, our events, our community, Powder Mountain, there's videos of of certain talks from our events in the past. And then um, this year, end of this year, we actually, myself and my co-founders have a book coming out called uh, Make No Small Plans on Currency, which uh, I hope will make its way to Australia as well.
0: Amazing. Well, look, um, thank you so much for your time, Jeff.
1: All right, brother. Thanks so much.
0: Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview